Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you. More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 961. Today we hear from Tim, who asks... Do you think there's a real difference between commercial genre fiction and less mainstream stories, besides them being for different audiences? Are there any literary strengths you think genre fiction could use more? Um... Well, genre fiction has gotten so big that it's... I think almost impossible to answer the question as posed. Mm -hmm. The main difference between literary fiction and genre fiction is that literary fiction and really offbeat stuff tends to create its own symbolic language as it goes. Genre fic relies on tropes because tropes are a symbolic language that communicate things in shorthand to the audience. They communicate uh, what the audience should expect. They give a framework in which the audience can play, um, in which the writer can play. Um, more literary stuff tends to be more personal or more high con nah, high concept is not quite the right word. More personal, more experimental. Um, mm -hmm. and it requires the reader to, rather than the reader and the writer meeting on some sort of middle ground where there's a shared language, even if it's just a little bit of one, with the more out there stuff and with lit litfic, it requires the reader to enter the writer's world before the reader knows the rules. Mm -hmm. And the upside of experimental and genre fic is, or of experimental and litfic is that's where one of the places where new symbolic languages get developed. Mm -hmm. And the techniques that get developed for uh, use of language, for um, metaphor and imagery and whatnot can be stunning. And those frequently do get pulled across. Um, the disadvantage of experimental and literary fiction is that it tends towards the, um, the exhort, the exaltation of form at the expense of meaning. Mm. And that is something that unfortunately also makes it across the barrier between literary experimental on one side and genre fic on the other. Um, when you have the destruction of meaning, what you have is, um, you have a, in my view, you have a breaking of the contract between the writer and the audience. Mm. It's okay to do that in experimental and genre fic because that's what the writer, or mm -hmm. that's what the reader signed up for. Sorry, in experimental, experimental and literary fic. Thank you. Because that's kind of what the reader has signed up for. Mm -hmm. But 
to do that in genre fic, you got to be careful because you risk not only alienating the reader, but if you don't alienate the reader, you actually risk ruining um, entire swaths of perfectly good stories for your readers. Um, one of the reasons I rail against, I railed against Bathos so much a couple of years ago when I got on, when we had that series of episodes where I was excoriating the Joss, uh, the Joss Whedon school of writing mm-hmm. is that there's a kind of ironic humor that is in, that's really clever and very delightful that destroys the audience's ability to do the suspension of disbelief required to take seriously the stuff that's being mocked in um in the flippant sort of um ironic humor okay and i don't think that's cool um I think it's really bad. And I say this as an aficionado of the ironic and the subversive. I love the ironic and the subversive. I love satire. But there's uh, there's a broad and fuzzy border between satire and the mo- between satire which mocks which which uses the symbolic language of fiction to and especially genre fiction to mock or examine certain things about storytelling or about human nature or about culture. Mm-hmm. And the pseudo-sophisticated hectoring that um, that indirectly mocks the reader for liking these things in the first place. Right. If, if you're subverting the, the genre form and the reader doesn't know that you're subverting it until nearly the end I don't think that 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 is breaking the contract with the reader mm, well if, you if, say if, that but you liked down from 10 and I did that in down from 10 I don't think that is the, the, That's same, not what you're kind, talking about? Okay. the same kind of thing okay. I'm, I'm talking about the the kind of subversion where you're give, you're giving the audience something entirely different than than promised even in terms of uh, theme and mood and mm, okay. whatnot. With Down From Ten, you... I'll, I'll give you a really good uh, distinction of the kind of thing I'm trying to explain. Think of the difference between, say, uh, comedic high fantasy, like the Robert Asprin's Another Fine Myth series. Mm-hmm. The difference between that... And the Harvard Lampoon's Board of the Rings. Mm. Board of the Rings uh, is kind of like a Mad Magazine rewrite of Lord of the Rings. But it crosses so far over into... It's almost a Mad Libs thing. But it crosses so far over into making fun of people that enjoy this kind of thing. Mm. And making fun of people who write this kind of thing. That the love that the 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 love and the joy that makes a parody vibrant is entirely replaced with a with a kind of self-satisfied nastiness mm-hmm. um what one way to think about it is if um when when you're doing parody and satire you're still t- telling a story mhm um but the satire 
and the parody is inherent in the premise of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're talking about something like Board of the Rings or some or um, Here, here's genre a, expectations uh-huh. that that totally fail, it's that it's when writers won't pass will pass up um, story logic for mm, a good yeah. joke at the expense of the audience or the trope or reality or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll give you, a, here, here's another really good set of examples. Mm. Um, Young Frankenstein. Okay. Mel Brooks's parody of the horror movie genre mm. of the, of the thirties monster movies, especially was in its own right, a good monster movie. Mm-hmm. It was, also hilarious. It made fun of all the conventions of the monster movie genre, but it used making fun of those conventions to tell an interesting and fun story. Mm-hmm. And it turns it into a love letter to the genre. Mm-hmm. Scary Movie does something different. Scary Movie takes the sort of hot shots, scene for scene parody thing that comes out of, that grows out of Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. But it turns it in. It turns it into an exercise in, look how dumb these things we take seriously really are. Mm. And that spoils things for the audience in the long term. It makes it harder for them to wholeheartedly engage with the stories they consume in the future. Because there's this little part in the back of their brain like, oh yeah, that was like in Scary Movie, huh? It rips them out of later stories. Mm. It, it turns, uh, in sex therapy, it's called spectating. Where instead of being into the act, you're analyzing what's going on so in yeah, the act. What I was expecting you to be saying on, on mm-hmm. with, with that remark was that um, it creates an, an an audience in the audience an expectation that nothing that they're nothing that they're getting in the story really matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of the consequence when you slip into that sort of jaded, seen it all frame of mind. Yeah, not jaded, seen it all, but. Um, I don't. I'm. I'm thinking of just not expecting the story to do what it promises anymore. Mm-hmm. Not expecting any story to do what it promises. Uh, okay, that that hadn't occurred to me, but yeah, that's an interesting uh, interesting angle as well. And of course, the question here is what can what can genre fic take from literary fic? And I don't think we're anywhere near answering that because we're we're talking about the ways that genre fic shouldn't take from literary fic what should it take from literary fic uh literary artists often do the perform the same uh service in literature that avant-garde filmmakers perform in film um they push boundaries of structure and language in ways that can open up new artistic vistas Mm. and it's a very good idea to pay some attention to that and to borrow things across that can open up the genre and and help it and, and play it forward and develop it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, that was rambling, but I hope we came up with something useful. <laughs> thank you very much for the... Well, thank you, Trixie. <laughs> thank you very much for the question, and we'll see you tomorrow. 
The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Notarifitas License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners.